Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. We're two, 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 two writer friends talk <laughs> writing craft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ben. <laughs> and I'm Emily. <laughs> You've never heard an echo before? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard an echo. <laughs> what if that was like the first time I had heard an echo? <laughs> like, I didn't know what it was. Like, what are you doing? Why are you repeating yourself? <laughs> I freak out. (laughs) (laughs) On this week's this month unit of times episode, we we are talking about "Enjoy Me Among My Ruins" by Juniper Fitzgerald, published by the Feminist Press last year in 2022. Uh, This episode is about uh, creating work that is not connected to a strict chronological schedule, as in you are not taking it from point A to point B, but rather you start at point C and then you show us point Y and then you go back to point A and jump around within the chronology of what you are trying to tell us and using that as a greater thematic device to um, kind of let us into what may be difficult subject matter um, more easily, I think. Mm. 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 What Ben said. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hi everybody! Welcome. Well, welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Oh, Ben, it's so good to see ya. Yeah, uh, it's so good to see you too, Emily. Yeah. Here we are on the cast again. Um, mm-hmm. This week, month, whatever unit of time it has been. Welcome back to the Good Writing Podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're happy to see you on the audio rays. Um, but yeah, so I guess we need to get into this in our usual practice of saying whether or not we've been writing. Um, and I'll just come out and say, nah, not, not this month, not, not in this unit of time. Hasn't been good lately. I think you mean our usual confession of not writing as much as we yeah. needed to. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I can't recall the time where we've been like, I wrote more than I expected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, hasn't been great, but I have been, um, I don't remember if it was last time we recorded, but recently we talked about trying to get back on that 15 minutes a day. Um, yeah. And I have been hitting that like three days a week for the past week or so. Oh, congrats. Um, that rocks. I've written less than an hour in an entire week. Hang on. Once I phrase it that way, that doesn't sound as attractive. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's all you can do. Like, you know, what, who, who was it? I, I think it was Flaubert or, or one of those, you know, modernist freaks who I don't like very much, but that lots of people really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, who said something along the lines of like, you know, uh, a single sentence written is a good day of writing, right? Like, oh, and Flaubert. that's, yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's really sweet. Um, if yeah. it's a good sentence though, if it's only, yeah. I just want to say I've got some duds. Um, why do you hate the modernists? I don't necessarily hate the modernists. It's there's some modernists I like and some I don't. Um, I'm a big fan of you know Gertrude Stein, Virginia Woolf, the the much more like inventive modernists. But our, our, my man Hemingway, not huge on him. Not huge on Fitzgerald. Like really not a fan of um, Proust. 
uh, who's kind of considered the er guy there because I just think his stuff is overwritten and really boring. Um, like, you know, and, so th and that's, you know, a very trite thing to say about In Search of Lost Time. Like, I could never create something like In Search of Lost Time personally, and I don't mean to say that I don't, don't think it has value, but just personally in a taste thing. Like, it, it's just not for me. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first, folks. Ben hates men. Um, that's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that doesn't shock me because I know you know Virginia Woolf is very stream of consciousness, which is um, yeah strange, and you love strange. And then Gertrude yeah. Stein, I actually don't think I've read Gertrude Stein, but she's known as being like capturing dialogue in a very realistic way. But that also means that her dialogue yeah. tends to like run onto itself, run onto each other. Yeah, and, and also she's also very formally inventive, and I, I she's. A lot of stuff that I like from her is closer to poetry. Like, I'm a big fan of Tender Buttons, if you ever read Tender Buttons, which if you just read that, it's a very short book. But the, on first glance, it just looks like a series of words. You know, like, it, it doesn't really seem like there's any relation that you can draw out of it, but you can if you sit there with it for a while. It, it's very interesting. Um, that Making the Americans, which I've never finished, but I definitely like open up my copy of and read parts of at times, is a very interesting book that works in a similar way of like, you know, very low on dialogue tags, but those large kind of realistic run on, run together dialogues. Like, yeah. So I just think she's very cool. Like, very interesting writer. Yeah. Ben loves strange things. You hear to, heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you've listened to any other episode, you've heard it here before. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's let's get into this week's uh selection. Uh this mm -hmm. week, this unit of time, we're discussing uh Enjoy Me Among My Ruins by Jennifer Fitzgerald. It's a very short memoir published by uh the Feminist mm -hmm. Press. And, uh, Ben, I don't think I sent you much context for this one. I just kind of sent you, like, no. 20, 30, 20, 30 pages and yeah. told you have have fun, kid. So let's start with yeah. first impressions. Ben, what did you think of Enjoy Me Among My Ruins by Jennifer Fitzgerald? Uh, very cool. Very good stuff. Um, I, my first question was going to be if it was a memoir or a novel. I, I thought memoir upon reading it. Like, it just kind of had that more that raw feeling that I think CNF gets sometimes mm -hmm. ra rather than, than fiction does, like, that you just can't put in there because it's not real. Like, it, it just has that kind of willingness to grate against the reader and, and that um, CNF does. Um, but, yeah, really interesting stuff uh, about... I wasn't sure if it was the same narrator the entire time. I thought it might be, but the voice flips a lot, mm -hmm. like which I thought was really interesting. So I wasn't sure if it was maybe more than one person speaking. Um, to, just to give the audience a little uh, uh, context for what's going on here, th this piece uh, is a memoir, as Emily said, a, from the perspective of a person who was formerly a sex worker and at times presently a sex worker it jumps around in time a fair amount um and it's parts of it are addressed to this person's daughter and then parts also seem to just be more diary entries is that mm -hmm. correct okay yeah um, you're nailing it so far yeah. um let me do a little bit of uh, explanation of what the form looks like and then i'll mm -hmm. ask you for more plot summary if that's okay 
Um, yeah, please. So the form, it's a memoir, as, as, as we've said, it's only 104 pages in total. Like, this, this thing is slim, and it's not oh. like a large, it's not like a full-size book, as you probably noticed in the PDFs that I sent you. So mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very, very short uh, little, little weirdo. And mm-hmm. the format is all um, one, it, it rotates between three types of things. So it has mm-hmm. these one page, uh, like just one page writing about a woman in Juniper's life who is influential, influential on her. And then these diary entries, real diary entries from all over all ages of her life. Like mm-hmm. from, I think, mm-hmm. 13 was probably the youngest up to mm-hmm. uh, 20, in, in her early 20s. And okay. then it's got these uh, personal essays. So it's rotating mm-hmm. between one page thing on an influential woman in her life titled mm-hmm. that woman's first name, a diary yes. entry, and then a personal essay rotating for the okay. entire book. Oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. I yeah. found I chose okay. something with a weird mm-hmm. format. Mm-hmm. Open loves weird formats, and I'm so yeah. pleased that he likes it as much as I thought he would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course, because uh, this is just like I I don't know, and it, it's like the formatting I I think is fascinating, like knowing that it's jumping between those three things. But like, what what drew me in more than anything else is just like. You know, as we would say on the Good Writing podcast, the quality of the writing here, like mm-hmm. the what what we have going on from just sentence to sentence, is just really really great. Um, just you know, to say it in a kind of dumb way, but just being <laughs> honest, like she she really kicks ass just throughout here. It, it, it's very impactful. I think would be the way to put it, like just because of the honesty that she brings across in the things that uh, come out of here, which of course is going to be true when you're publishing your own diary entries, which I assume are of course edited for publication to a certain extent, like uh, things might be. If you say there's something from when she was 13, I don't know if that's the exact quote of what she was writing when she was 13 or if she took what she was writing when she was 13 and then, you know, revised it as an adult to make that a little more, you know, actually reflecting what was trying to be stated more clearly than a 13-year-old could express. But maybe not. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. Is there anything that you want to call attention to in this? Like, Yeah, let's start with just some highlights. Um, yeah. Before before I launch into what I was thinking about, so um, Ben, do you want to start with what are some moments that made you say, "Dang, this is good." <laughs> okay, um, you know, on page uh, thirty five uh, of the piece that you sent me, and it's like the uh, I want to say sixth page of the PDF. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, um, uh, I'm not sure what makes a good mom, but I can promise you a few things. First, Colon. if you ever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love a colon on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A colon, a list, a, a list. You know, I'm there. Uh, um, you know. <laughs> First, if you ever told me that someone was harming you in any way, I promise to believe you and fight on your behalf. I will be accused of internalized whorephobia for feeling this way. But if a man ever fingered you in a bar and you were ambivalent about it because you never had the language to define what was happening, I would kill him. Like, that's just a really succinctly expressed thought. Like, that's such a nuanced, like, you know, way of a person, like, bringing in their ideology and, like, playing that against the world and then from that actually creating real synthesis to, like, a, a, like, 
call to action for themselves of like making a choice and just expressing that in a way that like unifies a philosophy that is expressed of like this eternal like i will be accused of internalized whorephobia that's this person speaking on how they'll be perceived because of their knowledge of like how like academized systems work and how systems within perception of like a person works especially if that person is a former sex worker um that where they will be reflected in that but then playing that against their own lived experience and their expectations and desires for the future of their own child like that's mm -hmm. just and that's so succinctly expressed in one cent in two sentences like two sentences make up that small paragraph there and i i just think that's excellent yeah yeah i i love that and i think you've identified like the three factors that make this book really unique so it's her lived experience it's her academic background and it's how looking at her daughter changes her worldview. So her mm -hmm. lived experience mm -hmm. contrasts with her academic background in a way that I find really interesting. Her lived experience mm -hmm. is a lot about like being uh, taken advantage of by men in really mm -hmm. gross sexual ways. And mm -hmm. then her academic background, she's, she, she gets a PhD in sociology. Um, mm -hmm. So she is quoting like theorists, like a couple sentences mm -hmm. after the one that you read out loud, she quotes Henri, like, like a Marxist, a famous Marxist. I, I, I imagine yeah. you probably know more about Henri Le, Lefebvre than I do. Yeah, Lefebvre, yeah. Um, in another section, one that I didn't have you read, she's, um, in a, just on the subject of her like lived experience clashing with her academic background, uh, in another section she is about a personal essay where she's uh, doing phone sex work. And she's trying to keep mm -hmm. this guy on the phone for as long as possible in order mm -hmm. to be paid mm -hmm. more. And yeah. she's talking about how she like will read like sociological and feminist theorists out loud to these men who are masturbating, like in, uh. in order to get them off and keep them on the line for as long as possible. <laughs> and then of course the content of what she's reading about also like you know, brings a new depth to the sex that she's writing about right um yeah because she's writing about yeah. like, like the theorists are talking about like sexual power and sexual power dynamics and then she's literally doing this like while, utilizing it yeah while working to get a man to masturbate for longer um yeah yeah so her lived experience in the academic background just contrast in a way that's delightful um yeah and then uh i think the like daughter um, make changing her worldview is the impetus for the book and why there's a big enough occasion for story for this book mm -hmm. to be like mm -hmm. book worthy rather than just mm -hmm. you know uh, a, just some cool things happening in the background right mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah those are the three elements that I think really make this whole book so delicious mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely like I, I definitely like you can see 100% what you're talking about there. Like, because that you, I don't know. I, I think that's such an interesting thing in and of itself too, because it's, it, it's taking, I think a problem that I see in academia and academics and a problem that I think academics also see in academia it is the way that acad these like theorize, like theorizing grates up against reality 
in, in an attempt to explain reality. Like, there, there's always going to be a gap between it, even as it's trying to bridge that gap. And I think mm -hmm. that this, like, sort of thing showcases the presence of that gap really well, which is a wonderful critique of an over-academization of things, which I think, so, like, while there are some academics that are very aware of this, I think there are many others who are not and kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit on, like, what they're doing and begin to see the act of theorizing as praxis itself, whereas, like, praxis looks different, and this showcases how praxis is not actually, like, just pure theory. It can never just exist in the realm of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I don't think academics are the only ones um, mm -hmm. guilty of that, like pretending like, mm -hmm. pra like just theorization or like pristine thoughts are as good as actual social work, right? I think like a lot yeah. of uh, leftists, liberals, and um, yeah, rad radical thinkers yeah. who are not in the academia also like confuse um, being able to like use the right terms with actually doing yeah work or yeah exactly or posting as yeah 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 100 percent exactly like i completely agree with you like it, it becomes this like weird barrier where we're, we we like confuse a, a um like like you said just good good language and good practice a, a, as being the end result instead of like a means necessarily to something greater than that yeah I think, yeah. too, like, just because that was the section you read, just below mm -hmm. it, on mm -hmm. 34, um, so first, it's, I promise to, like, fight for you if you tell me that someone's harming you. Second, mm -hmm. I promise to never um, verbally abuse you or harm living things that you love. Um, somehow fighting for sex workers' rights relates to all that. It's like this. Henri Lefebvre was asked if he was an anarchist, he said, I'm a mar Marxist, of course, so that one day we can all be anarchists. Likewise, I am pro-sex workers' rights, so that one day no one will have to choose selling sex. I do not want you to be a sex worker, for fuck's sake. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think that's a really interesting contrast of, like, uh, I, think, I, I think, like, being pro-sex work so that no one has to do sex work is mm -hmm. a tricky thing to explain because yeah um like have to to be pro-sex work you have to speak about it really positively or like mm -hmm. realistically and mm -hmm. um yeah i think so many people are like afraid of that nuance afraid of like talking about parts of sex work that are i don't know i don't need to be on a on a uh uh I don't need to be ranting about sex work in general, but like I, I do think that oh, she like right. captures this like discomfort and nuance with theory, theory that like is not talked about enough. Yeah, be, because it brings in this like internalization and, and that um, if you are to be pro sex work, I think that it, it a lot of this stuff it loses access to a gray area, right? Like it, it's like if I am pro sex work, then therefore I must say all sex work is good. Like, whereas, like, it is not, ne where it is not, instead of maybe making a claim, like, sex workers in and the, of themselves as people are all good and are definitely not bad for having done sex work, but it, it's more of a thing of just, like, where where does this miasmatic stance, like, 
come into play and how do we exist in that uh, the, that that interrelation b- between these things and, and that difficult area between something that is like you know uh, as someone who is pro sex work and, and is uh, thinks that sex work is a thing that should be recognized as legitimate work like i i definitely don't think that it's something that if you do not want to choose it or that you feel you are forced to choose it due to material circumstance that that is not a good thing like that 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 is you know that's not a complicated thing to say or a weird thing to say but it's not but it's you know i i think sometimes that's what gets lost in the sauce right like yeah totally yeah i think like yeah I just think that she talks about these like tough, complicated theories in a way that's very nuanced and doesn't allow for black and white thinking um, while mm-hmm. using... Uh, and I think the craft element she does that's gotten us so seduced and on this long tangent about theory um, yeah. is uh, language contradiction. So like in that section yeah. you've read, she combines mm-hmm. like really simple language with um, more... Uh, academic internalized horophobia or mm-hmm. more like mm-hmm. um jargony language and i i think like that's yeah. one of the amazing skills throughout the course of this book that are really fun yeah. that's really fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it, it, exactly like because the term horophobia like i'd never actually seen that term before but i realized as soon as she said that i was like oh that's definitely a reused term because like i clearly haven't read a fair amount of theory or surrounding sex work kind of thing like that just shows for me not knowing that probably like it, it's one of those things where just like using that jargon term in there like brings that access to this world outside of what what's being um directly described here it, it, in the piece itself like it, it adds a, a an outer context to it like yeah Okay. Were there yeah. any other moments that made you say this rocks on a language level? Let's see. Let's see. I mean, I know there definitely were. Um, I, I mean, there's the, like, the, there's that really tender moment between her and the, like, just how it opens, like, w- when she's talking about having stolen, like, money from her daughter's piggy bank and this just very honest, tender thing between them and being like, but just so you know, I put an IOU in your pink piggy. I promise I'll pay you back. And that's a promise she keeps later on. Like that, which is really, really delightful because just to, I'm sorry that this seems to be a tangent thing. A, um, a book that I read recently is um, Bandit, a daughter's memoir, um, which is by Molly Brodak, um, who, which is about her father who was a bank robber. And um, there, there's a point in that when she talks about how she would often go to her piggy bank and find IOUs in there, and this being a thing of desperation that parents in desperate circumstances will do. But, like, that contradiction I found between those two texts of, like, this person, you know, uh, Juniper Fitzgerald, makes a very real effort to put that money back. Like, this is a, we need to buy food, I need this money now, I will give it back to you later, and she does. That that case of ne- was a case of neglect where it's like i owe you but it's like you're never gonna see this again like i've gambled this away and i'm not yeah. gonna, and i don't it, it's a lie but in this case because it is true it gets so much more impact like yeah that i i thought that's really beautiful and then you know you know the stuff about her daughter knowing but then we have down here right before the um the, the section break you know we have our own morse code 
If I squeeze your hand three times, it means I love you. And you squeeze mine back four times. I love you too. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. I love you. Like, just that's so warm. That's so, like, present. And, and the way that, you know, the, this relationship between the two of them has just brought so much into clarity with that. Like, just clearly this person has so much love for their child. Like, and it, it's just right there on the page in such an honest way. It's so beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it also is how she ends that essay with the squeeze, squeeze, yeah. squeeze. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which we love a full circle. Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't love a callback? Yeah. Who <laughs> doesn't love a callback? Um, yeah, I really agree. And um, I want to bring us to, before I get into the main thing I want to talk about, mm-hmm. which is uh, I'll, I will preview, um, I want to skip to 61, which, page 61, which has a like observation that I just loved. Um, mm-hmm. I included the section because I just like, you know, I love like writing about place, and this is writing about mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that like really illustrates Vegas as a place for her, as someone who just got her first job at a strip club, is mm-hmm. uh, uh, she's describing like p- the kinds of people who you see around in Vegas. And she says, sex workers on dinner dates are the only sane demographic here, sober and stoic in heels. Young women in bridal mm-hmm. parties attempt to copycat the sex workers' stoicism, but their performances are always too shallow, too insecure. They stumble from sidewalks into streets like baby deer in heels, having never had the material reality of laboring in such impossible shoes. That's such a good moment, too. Yeah. At this point that you just did, that makes me yeah. so happy. <laughs> yeah, because... Mm-hmm. What is it for you? What is it for you? Oh, it's the term, you know, the that final sentence. They stumble from sidewalks into streets like baby deer in heels, having never had the material reality of laboring in such impossible shoes. That's once again one of those moments uh, of just the synthesis between, like, a, an academized background of, you know, what you see in material reality, but laboring in, a uh, materiality of laboring, but then in such possible shoes, bam, just instantly in the human experience of the moment. Like, exactly. so good. Yeah. Freaking yeah. delicious contrast in language. And again, it's because of her, like you said, the contrast in her, like, lived reality experiences, women in stupid ass shoes, and her academic background and this academic jargon. Um, the material yeah. reality of laboring in such impossible shoes. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the reason uh, I brought this yeah. in and why I think this is um, one of just, like, a really stunning memoir um, is actually you already started to say it. Um, this, this book has just, like, a willingness to grate, as you phrased it. Um, mm-hmm. Or so how it's structured, as we said earlier, it's just rotating between... Um, flash about influential women diary entry and personal essay and it's just rotating between those three formats the whole time it's also Mm -hmm. rotating in time throughout the book Mm -hmm. so for example the diary entries go from when she was 13 to when she was 20 to when she was four like there it is not chronological and there's no Mm -hmm. interest in trying to make it chronological um Mm. and i think that's one of the coolest freaking things i've ever seen because it makes Mm -hmm. it not about how did she get into sex work? Where did she start? How does, like, is she still doing it? What's the future of that? It makes it not about the chronology. It makes it about, like, her 
how she thinks about it and it makes it about like the concept and she can do that in whatever chronological or in whatever chronology makes the most sense in order to explore the concept piece by piece yeah yeah god that's cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) like part of why i chose that vegas section um, by the way, this again, this book is 104 pages. I think I spent, Ben, like, four, 20 you, pages. So you've read a good yeah, bit of it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in, in, like, you can jump in and know, have, like, a good gist of, of who she is, and you don't necessarily need to know, like, demographic backgrounds or, like, how she got into sex work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's just cool. Like, she'll go from um, filming a porn scene back to mm. the one of the first personal essays is about filming a porn scene and then she goes back to um like in vegas when she's stripping only um and it really makes it it, it kind of makes you like not need to worry about some of the logistical details um mm-hmm. like do you need to know which order if she stripped first then did phone sex work then did porn live live video scene like it do, you don't need to know that it is about like her relationship with the theory of these things the intellectualization of this rather than about like her mm-hmm. personal resume history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it, so does do you think like and this is just a question for someone who's read the whole book instead of just a part of it um like do you think that that kind of um maybe takes some of the like stigma around what's being discussed out of it to a certain extent do you think it works in that direction or do you think she's trying to keep that in like yeah i think there is definitely i think one of the ways that you can create shock and awe around a subject is to like withhold the first time the person does it for a long period of time Mm -hmm. right like if Mm -hmm. there is no like extended oh should i get into sex work like internal conflict like from the beginning of this book she's because you're getting it in a weird chronological order she's already involved in this Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah so I think like it's just throwing you mise-en-scene like throwing you in the middle of the scene um, so that Mm -hmm. she's already doing this thing Um, you don't need uh, yeah I think it really takes a lot of the like drama or tension uh, out Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. Um, because I think that's useful, right? Like in relation to what she's writing about, that that lets that that lets the reader approach it from this angle as well. Like it, it doesn't force you into suddenly becoming like, I don't know. It, it, tell me if this is the wrong word to use based on your own reading experience of it. But it's just like it takes out some of the worry that the reader might have or like anxiety surrounding like what they perceive as the narrator or the main character uh, of a piece like this if instead you realize you're unmoored and that like those kind of things like already when you start are maybe already resolved like you're you're entering it from a point past their resolution so you don't need to be concerned about it yeah yeah this is already what's happening so it's by definition of presenting it as this is already what's happening it's really normalizing this kind of work yeah cool yeah. yeah, that rocks. But yeah, so yeah, so you're talking about like the um, the way that this jumps around in time, like that. That's kind of what you're trying to bring focus to here. Yeah. Like so, we we see that like loosening us kind of in terms of these points from the main narrator. Um, 
in the section that you sent me, you said there's also these one-page descriptions of women who were important in her lives. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I only got one of those. Diana, yeah. uh, I, I believe, was the only one I got. How, do you think that that affects how those work as well? Or, or like, well, what, how do you think those interweave with this? Yeah. Yeah, these those one-page, like, flash moments of important women from her life are, like, the most completely and totally out of time of everything in this novel Mm -hmm. so diana Mm -hmm. for example um we it's just a description of what she's like and it's told in the present tense for them like it's pretty and unshaven diana lives present tense in a trailer park in one of the many dusty collectives tucked away in the desert we shotgun beers and smoke cigarettes again present tense um Diana hangs her lingerie on the fence, offering lonely passersby the opportunity to own what she's worn. Again, present tense. So I think, like, I really love the out-of-timeness of of these moments because uh, putting them in the present tense, like, kind of makes them a more perfect memory. Um, So this is, like, at any given time, it's not, like, reflecting when I was at a certain age and Diana used to be like this. It's kind of, like crystallizing Diana into like one beautiful memory that is in the present tense that Juniper can go back to and reaccess at any time that um and it kind of turns Diana and all of the women like this into like a more mythic influences like Mm -hmm. she's not her influence isn't like boundaried like stuck within a certain past tense moment it's like she is forever smoking cigarettes and shotgunning beers and making for Diana, like, making this weird art. <laughs> I think yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. She shits into paper bags and takes the bus to the Las Vegas Strip, paper bag in hand, where she meets anxious men. They cover her, themselves in her feces before attending week-long conferences on financial management and concrete. Um, <laughs> what a hell of a thing to be doing in the present tense all the time, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think, like... Yeah. Yeah, and Diana makes art out of headless baby doll- Barbie dolls. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, like, all of these sections about, like, influential women in her life um, being in the present tense, like, further takes them, like, out of time, makes me less worried about the chronology of Juniper's life, and, mm-hmm. like, makes this person's influence on Juniper as the narrator, like, more permanent or lasting. Yeah. Yeah, that that's really interesting, especially because you could think of, like, by unmooring yourself from time, like, it feels like that would risk, like, making these things less potent, right? Like, it, it would be taking them away from the moment in which they exist, but instead using it as a way of stamping them forever, like, into eternity. Like, that, that's, um, that, it, it does the exact opposite. That, that, that's really... that's really fascinating yeah yeah i mean this is just this is not a book about what happens it's a book about what Mm -hmm. do you think about that yeah it's a concept book not a plot book so Mm -hmm. it really makes sense to take women who have like changed how she feels if not how she thinks about something and like make them these out of time it doesn't matter where in the plot where in her chronology it happened yeah yeah what did you yeah. think about the um, diary entry section that I sent you? Uh, let's see. So the, I, I got a couple of those, because those are the ones in italics. Like, yeah, 2006, I, I 21 believe. years old. Yeah. 
1998, 14 years old. Yeah. I hope to be um, Yes, yeah, that's the very last page that I got. Um, uh, let's see. I, I, I don't know if that's the entire oh, yeah, one really either. Like, yeah. yeah, that one was just one page. Um, okay. I, I did send you the 1998, 14 years old, because I, like, that first sentence from that section is exactly yeah. what I was trying to think about. Um, yeah. A much more succinct version of what I've been trying to say for, uh, which is... Oh, True. I love that the characters and books will always be at the same place where you left them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do wish, however, that all stories took place in winter. That's also just a great little aside. But, yeah. They, they, um, but that's such a fascinating thing to think about. Like, just if, if we're going to be getting on, you know, concepts within writing. Uh, a, a thing that I often think about when I think about books that this sentence gets at. I love that the way characters and books will always be in the same place where you left them. It is a weirdness that I have when approaching specifically fiction about how, like, a character on the first page is always predestined to the last page uh, of the book. Like, their, their place in time is always this eternal, out-of-time stasis that they're you know that's just what a piece of fiction is like it by necessity has an ending that is something that you know is inherently fictive like we in reality don't have access to our endings whereas they they always do and and i think that's just such an interesting thing to point out like i don't have a grander point than that but it's just one of those things of like that that's something that makes writing and fiction in general kind of such this strange thing that we get to interact with because it is inherently like scooped out of our reality in a in a weird way yeah i think you've mentioned something similar to that before when talking about how you feel like when you're trying to write fiction you feel like character growth is like kind of contrived you know like Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. i don't remember how you phrased it but like sometime last year you mentioned like having trouble cooking up how a character needs to change throughout the course of whatever fiction piece you're writing because you're like, mm-hmm. well, what's, like, the, the, is, are they the same person? Like, could, I, yeah, the, say more. They're already, they're always already have had changed, right? Like, it, once they, like, there is no change because it cannot be a change because if they, if you have them exist at one point and then exist at another due to their, like, you know, your god looking outside, at, looking from the outside into a finitude, like, you can see both the beginning and the end at the exact same time. So, like, th- that's just a straight line I- instead of that actually being something that has levels is something that my brain just has trouble with. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily even, like, me making a decent point, but just more something that... I personally find confusing about writing. Like, yeah. Um, well, Ben, I know normally it's your books that recommend this, but I don't think anybody yeah. really grows in this one. At least not in a linear yeah. way. Um, yeah, okay. She, her, like, again, I think it's helped by the fact that it's not totally, it's not chronological. So, like, there are. If, if this story were told in a chronological way, like, there might be a more conclusive, like, linear direction of growth or linear direction of, like, opinion change. But as mm-hmm. it is, like, jumping around through time so much, I don't think that she, like, reaches a definitive conclusion, either in character growth yeah. or 
in terms of like how she her theory like how she thinks about any of these concepts um yeah so um so like then then you know like i i want to read this but i'm not particularly worried about spoilers like where does this go what does this wrap in on like do, does this just like and like from what i what i would think having read these 20 pages i would think this ends on a letter to the child and addressing the child once again but like i don't know for certain maybe it doesn't like where where does this go yeah so the second to last section is a diary entry 2007 22 years old um Mm -hmm. and i am alone alone with my smokes an empty condom box a half smoked cigar and of course my journal as well as a stack of hundred dollar bills five of them actually i finally answered dennis's phone calls and i am officially a hooker ha i feel amazing and alive so it's her diary entry from like an hour after her first time doing sex work mm-hmm. or full service yeah. sex work and yeah. uh then the final final section is a personal essay uh mm-hmm called Other Timelines. Um, Let me skim this. Uh, Where she sells, like, she's talking about various books she's read. She, due to financial constraint, has to sell one of her favorite books, Lolita, to, she has to, like, pawn this off in order to, Mm -hmm. you know, meet financial needs. Um, Yeah. And at the very end uh, yeah it's it's mostly like literary criticism is, is the final personal essay. Okay. so it's like interesting talking, do you know the egg by Andy Weir oh is that the one about like the the thing where it's like oh god meets you after you die and, and then like you're infinitely reincarnated yeah. until you've lived every human yeah, life yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so she's talking about she brings up various it's literary inspired so she talks about that and then she says like um she's not not as concerned as most are about the implication that all of us are hitler at some point instead i'm drawn closer to my child's sweet milky breath um i think in another timeline my child is me the sobering realization strapped to my boot like a pistol i decide at least for today to live long enough to be born I'm ready to see how much I can take. Um, so thematically, it's about how would would she live her life differently, um, mm-hmm. and would she, what kind of life does she want her kid to get to live? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I don't love in real life. Don't love when people like found find self love or self worth through others. But like I do, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about parenting. But like it seems like that's real and that happens and. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's again the core of the book. The occasion for story here is um how her do- having a daughter who she loves this much changes her worldviews and her like yeah, desires for her lived reality. Yeah. Yeah, that may that makes sense is the place to end that on because that feels very prominent like in the section that you sent me uh, of that kind of, you know, that relationship being this clear like destabilizer within everything else that she has experienced throughout so like because when you're unmoored from time well where do you end like you know because Mm. that's one of those things where just like you have the ability to just stop mid-sentence if you want to you probably won't be allowed to by your editor but you could um yeah 
well, yeah, I mean, if you're unmoored from time, she ends with uh, literary, critical, critical liter- like, literary thinking about being reborn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of implying, like, it that it never ends if yeah. the ending is about being reborn again. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that, that's a interesting and also beautiful thought. Like, you know, I, I, I know you mentioned, like, saying not wanting to find yourself self-worth through others and i i get that like i think that makes sense but i also do think uh like as also someone who doesn't have children um i i think it's different when it's your kid right like or at least it can be like you know because they it's instead of using others to you know build up yourself it's that you're finally living selflessly for someone else like you finally don't want to just exist for yourself anymore maybe yeah i don't know feel like it's too you're too dear listener you're too parentless you're too childless co-hosts yeah are feel free to write in good yeah podcast hey. at gmail.com if you've got any other insights if, if you've got a kid and you know better if it makes you feel more self-worth let, let us know if it makes you feel less um i'm sorry that's uh that, that <laughs> sounds like a not great scenario i won't lie but i i don't think that's the case for most people uh, i'm not saying it never happens but yeah you can write in about that too though if you, you want to you can, if you want to use the good writing podcast email as your personal diary to be read on air and just completely throw us off guard um uh, i say go for it <laughs> i think go for it i think it'll be funny yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's like kinda... <laughs> this hypothetical listener and then that that oh my god that publicist from the christian books group oh yeah keep... yeah that's it... that's our only two emailers right now yeah. Oh, do they do they keep emailing us? I haven't checked. <laughs> yeah, I keep marking yeah. it as I I blocked them. Okay. Um, cool. Good. So that's why you're not seeing it anymore. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you're out there and, and you want to do if you want to turn this podcast into an advice podcast, which is I feel like what um uh, the the bottom rung the sieve through which all podcasts are eventually rung. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, okay, Ben, final final thoughts on Enjoy Me Among My Ruins. Um, or, I know, I think I cut you off a little bit earlier mm. when I asked you what you thought about the diary sections. Oh. Um, and then didn't actually no. give you much of an opportunity to say much. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think that they're excellent in the same way that the rest of the piece is excellent. Like, you know, we, we say that there are these three different sections with three different styles of things, but they, they are also all of a piece very clearly. Like, nothing feels like it's moving out of context um, I, I think that those diary sections definitely, like, are the place where it gets the most, like, interior and personal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think if there's going to be a place where any sort of, like, maybe, like, more sensational something is going to happen, it's going to be in one of those sections. But they're presented so starkly where I don't think that that's the case. Like, I, 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 do, I, want, I don't want to call this piece sensational. That's not the right word for it. Um... But it, it's Some definitely crazy the shit p- happens in the diary sections, though. I will say the, it. <laughs> that's the better way, I think, to put it. Is that if there's somewhere where crazy shit's going to go down, it's going to be in those sections. Yeah, like uh, yeah, she had some crazy shit go down in her life as like a late teen, uh, yeah. well, even an early teen. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you get that in the in the section where she's fourteen. You know, like it's talking to her, the parents for whom she's babysitting. You know, like and, and the dad hits on her like a really gross way like it it sucks yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. 
yeah, it really sucks. Whereas, like, when she's an adult and ta- writing about anything related to sex, it's all labor. And at one point, mm-hmm. not in the section I sent you, she describes it as, like, it's just another shitty job. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. more realist and, like, she's in control as an adult. Whereas, as, yeah. as a kid, she was really taken advantage of in a lot of different instances. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But yeah, as far as final thoughts go, uh, this is really good. Um, the this is something that I think would definitely be worth reading to anyone listening. This like I, I knowing that I've already read a fifth of it, there's basically no reason for me not to read the rest of it. So <laughs> I think I'm gonna go just grab the ebook tonight and <laughs> plug that in because why not? But uh, yeah, it's a really fun one, uh, really no. fast one too. No. Um, I do want to turn this into a writing exercise. Yes. Open to your ideas if you have any too. But mm. my suggestion is scramble your work. Mm. So break your work into self-contained chunks, whether that be like this book is like an, an essay length or a flash fiction length or however long your chunks are, just scramble it. Um, it's an exercise that I did when I was a journalist a couple of times. I would like at least once I like literally printed out my entire like rough draft of an Mm -hmm. article and I cut it up into different um, like each self-contained chunk and then I just scrambled it until I got it in the order that was the most poetic or most sensical or um, just just felt right for the format Mm -hmm. I was going for. So Mm -hmm. um, that is my craft exercise and uh, for you all is um, just break it into whatever chunks can can make sense as much sense as possible self-contained and then scramble the order because we should be less um loyal to chronological order as the only Mm -hmm. way to tell something and i think there i got things out of this book thematically that i would not have gotten if this wasn't chronological order Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely like i definitely and just to tack on to that another thing that i think that works well in relation to that to maybe do at the same time or separately as well is the act of um whole cloth like delete paragraphs and just see how those two paragraphs now look next to each other without the one that was between them like Mm -hmm. in the same way of rearranging chronology putting holes in chronology is also very useful for a similar for a different effect but something that kind of works on a similar plane yeah cool like to to force your work to like contrast and juxtapose uh, more yeah yeah exactly yeah I do also believe like if you can eliminate some of that connective tissue stuff that you just feel like you have to do you should so like yeah yeah so often if I'm writing fiction I've got like so much like just like moving the little figurines in the scene like yeah. I know he needs to walk over there and so I have to do it in a whole sentence this sucks um, could yeah. I just skip the sentence of him walking and have him be there like do I really need the sentence of him walking yeah, could, people will get it yeah exactly yeah 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 I think that sounds fantastic yeah so before we go then do you have a recommendation that you would like to give to the good people our recommendation of the week i do this time um yeah cool i got this new desk off facebook marketplace and then Mm. i replaced the handles and it looks so much cooler than it did oh okay cool yeah show me yeah I, I will confirm to the listener wh- whether or not this is, in fact, a cool handle replacement. 
Ooh. Oh, those, okay. I got a little glimpse there. That that's a fancy handle. That 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 looks like a hotel drawer handle. That's cool. Oh, Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a dangerous movement. Um. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So just doing a little DIY project. Doing a very the easiest DIY. Like literally, there's you can two two screws screws per handle. Um. Yeah, but just like a little little customization it made me happy. Yeah. I've been feeling yeah. it. Just Make your space a little bit more your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, I think that's a great recommendation. Um, I will recommend. Um, I don't know. I, I I haven't been reading anything good because I've been reading the third Dune book. I keep going back to this series for whatever dumb reason, but um, <laughs> I don't know. So because the real reason is because everyone tells me that the fourth one is really good, so I'm like, gotta get there. I, um, don't. Ben, you did a whole, you had us do a whole episode on how you didn't like the first Dune book. It's the yeah. only good writing podcast episode where we are hating on a book for the whole it's, it's, episode. Like we, it's, it's the it's April Fool's writing. podcast. <laughs> it's yeah. the only episode of the good writing podcast that's the bad writing podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't recommend that. Um, so I guess I will recommend um, I, I will recommend uh, Final Fantasy 16. Um, if you haven't played the latest in the Final Fantasy series, uh, the newest one's real good. Um, if you have a PlayStation, I highly recommend grabbing it. Um, it's really fun. The, it's no longer a turn-based RPG. It, it's completely basically a character action game at this point. Um, and the, but it's not quite like Devil May Cry style difficult. It, it is much easier entry point to that sort of game. Uh, think more of like a Kingdom Hearts with a slightly more um, compelling control scheme. Like, you can button mash your way through this, but if you don't, you if you actually try to learn, like, the right time to deploy your skills and stuff, you're going to have a better time. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy 16, very fun. Uh, you play as a himbo who's running around trying to destroy a bunch of crystals. Um, it's great, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that sounds phenomenal. I didn't know they were still going. Oh, yeah. They don't stop. You, you can't stop the Final Fantasy, despite the name. Um, <laughs> There's no ultimate fantasy. Um. <laughs> oh, man. If they if they don't call the last... If they're ending the series and they don't call the last one ultimate fantasy, I, I, I will be very <laughs> upset. It is like 300 hours long. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really great. Happy Final Fantasy yeah. 16 to, to those who celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> to you and yours. <laughs> All right. Um, we've been the Good Writing Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we really do have an email address, and we'd love to hear from you, unless if you're a publicist for a Christian book self-publishing organization. We're at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we do have a Twitter account. Do you log into it? Do I log into it? Do we no, both log into it? Okay. I, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I will sometimes. I have before, Okay. And I will again. Cool. <laughs> good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> have a good week or month or other unit of time until the next episode. <laughs> Peace be with you, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>